Would you rise as we are in the second week in the book of Jonah, that Old Testament prophet, um, famous story, the great fish, lots there for us to see. We covered four verses last week. We have a few more today. This is from Jonah chapter 1, verses 4. We'll go really to verse 17, end of chapter 1. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had laid down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us. That we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may we may know on whose account the evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? And he said to him, them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? And the, For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea so that the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode harder to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is God's word to us. You may be seated. Um, So let's get the scene, and then we'll talk about what's the implications for us, okay? Uh, Familiar story, you know it, and yet there's so much here for us. The, The Lord calls Jonah, remember, go preach to that great city. The Lord calls it great. Jonah says it's wicked, so he does... What the prophets are not supposed to do, he immediately hops up and flees the opposite direction to Tarshish, away from Nineveh. Uh, He's on the sea, and uh, the Lord won't let him go, so he brings up this great wind and then this great storm. uh, And everyone on deck, there's pandemonium and chaos, and they're afraid, and they can't find Jonah, and they go down. He's in the bottom uh, of the boat, down, 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 we said last week, and he's asleep. They said, what are you doing? Cry out to your God. He might help. And Jonah does not. The men, they cast lots and say, Who's, whose fault is this? Somebody's got to be at blame. They, they cast lots. The lot falls on Jonah. They come to Jonah and they said, what have you done? What's your occupation? Give us the data. Who are you connected to? How does this work? And Jonah says, a very clear confession. I'm a Hebrew, an Israelite. I, this is the Lord, the God of heaven and earth. And they say, well, what do we do? How do we make this stop? And he says, you, you can't. You've got to throw me in the sea. And they, they say no, and they keep trying to row. But the storm gets more and more intense. So the sailors do what Jonah won't do, and they begin to pray. 
maybe this will stop, and then they say, look, this is our only option, God, uh, we're going to throw him in the sea, forgive us, and uh, they hurled Jonah into the sea, and then whew, immediately, right, the water's calm, and the Lord appoints a great fish to swallow him up. That sound like the story? Familiar with that, right? You read it in uh, kindergarten, you read it when you were little, Bible school. Um, so what do we learn from this episode? What might God teach us about himself from this story? The God that writes children's stories that are true for his people. First thing I want you to see, we're going to start with a deep dive here. First thing I want you to see is that the Lord's wrath and judgment is often a display of his severe mercy. You hear that? The Lord's wrath and judgment is often a display of his severe mercy. Jonah's resistance to the Lord's call provokes in the Lord an anger. And that anger is demonstrated in this wind and this storm. It will be in this fish, be throwing overboard. His anger is kindled. We saw last week the parallel between Jonah and Moses. Remember Moses? Uh, go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. Oh, I don't know what to say. I'm not a good speaker. Go. Uh, what, the, the people won't believe me. Go, John, uh, go Moses. Uh, who will I say sent me? And the Lord says what in Exodus? The Lord's anger burned against Moses. Burns here. Uh, with Moses, it was with words. Here, it's with actions, right? Jonah action, fled. The Lord says, okay. He hurls, remember the divine warrior, like a spear. He throws a storm at Jonah. How, how do you feel about that? The Lord's wrath or judgment. It's not very popular to talk that way, is it? We don't like that language. We kind of... We kind of cringe. If we're talking to non-Christians, we kind of want to hide that part, don't we? Like, well, um, I don't know. You know, our, our inclination is like, man, God, that, that's a little harsh. You know, so, you know, like, hold on, like a little overkill. I heard a, a friend explain one time when someone made an action. It was like, yeah, it's like he, uh, he pushed a piano out of the fifth floor of the building to kill an ant, right, on the sidewalk. It's like, hey, a little over the top, you know. <laughs> We kind of feel that with God. It's like, hey, can we, can we tone it down a little bit? We, we think God is, uh, is, is sort of grandfatherly. Uh, he lets the grandkids get whatever they want. <laughs> he's the Santa Claus. He's nice. He's, he's passive. He's kind of playful. It's not that big a deal. Come on, right? Um, reveals a lot. We, we don't want God to be... We're conditioned uh, culturally, and not by the word of God, but by the culture. We don't want our God to be come across as an abuser, right? We, we don't want the God we serve, we're here, we don't want them to think he's a bully, or he's oppressive, or he's, he's angry in some way, so we, we kind of cringe at his wrath uh, and, and his anger, and yet... We'll see in the story, his wrath and his anger is a piece and part of his divine mercy. Divine mercy. It's not as though God is embarrassed of it. Like, oh, I acted out again, you know. Oof, 
lost my fuse, right? He's not embarrassed. It's a part of fundamental of his character and his, his mercy and love and goodness. The embarrassment is that we, the people of God, have minimized the holiness of God. We have compromised on who this Lord is. Remember Moses Take off your sandals. This is holy ground. We'll see the responses to the sailors when they throw him overboard. Who is this God? What is he like? And yet we're kind of like, oh, let's, let's soften the edges, right? Let's make him really sweet and kind and kind of like a, a sweet old southern lady, you know, just really nice. Let's make God like that. We can try. That's not who he is. It's God's holiness, but... But perhaps we should think of judgment as, as, as not, um, it, it, there's more behind the scenes. Judgment is, is sort of the, the, maybe the underbelly of, of mercy. Maybe underbelly is not a good word. That sounds bad. It's like the opposite side of the coin, right? There's two sides. They go together. And here, the great anger of God hurls a storm and the, the pandemonium on the deck and the agony of the men having to throw him in the sea and then the agony of Jonah having to be thrown into the sea and then, of course, we'll see the great fish that comes involved. And all of these judgment, acts of wrath, are the mercy of God. Listen to Kevin Youngblood says this. The Lord's anger at human resistance to his call must not be misinterpreted as the pestilence of a deity who throws a temper tantrum when things don't go his way. You know, the, 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 it's kind of died down a little bit, but the kind of angry atheist movement the last 15, 20 years. You know, God's an a, a abuser. He's the father that gets angry and just backhands his kids, right, because he's had enough. Don't get in dad's way. Or he's, he's sort of the angry drunk, you know, and you know dad's coming home, and so kids clear out. That's not who he is. It's not who he is. He's not trying to get his pound of flesh. Youngblood goes on to say, listen, this is, it's a great quote. Rather, he says, Yahweh's wrath is a reflex of his passionate love that wants more for us than we want for ourselves, right? Every parent, I say amen. It's passion, love, because we want more. Our participation in the Lord's work is crucial to our spiritual development and our joy. When we refuse his calling for lesser pursuits, the Lord smolders or he, he slowly burns at the short-sightedness, the selfishness, the shallowness that we have succumbed to in our own sin. We're missing out. He burns at the prospect of us forfeiting participation in his joy because we prefer the comfort and familiarity of our theological constructs and less demanding life of spiritual mediocrity. Jonah would have gone to, the, to Israel to prophesy. <laughs> That's safe and comfortable, but not to Nineveh. You see, he's a good father. He's a good father. He wants more for us than we want for ourselves. Even in his judgment, he refuses to let us go our own way. We know what letting us go our own way is. That's what Romans 1 says, right? The people of, God, uh, the, people of the nations, they're wicked, they're godless, and they continue on their way. They say, no God, no God, no God, no God. And what does he finally do, Romans 1? Okay. He backs up, right? That's wrath. It's okay. 
You go your own way. And they hand, he hands them over to what they wanted. That's ultimately what hell is, isn't it? We want a world without God. And he finally says, okay. God is still sovereign over hell, but he removes his goodness. This is what you've been after the whole time. Okay. It's not what happens in Jonah, right? Jonah takes off, and God pursues him with a storm. He throws him in the ocean. God pursues him with a fish. Not only that, his anger, the fish, what's he going to do with Jonah? He's going to restore him. He's going to give him a second chance to go to Nineveh. He's going to empower him to do his mission and calling. But it all comes through this discipline. The nature of all discipline is restorative in the church and displayed because that's who God is. Anger as mercy. First thing. Second thing. I want you to see God's commitment to the nations and God's commitment to use the people of God to bless the nations. First thing here, remember the call of Jonah is to Nineveh, that godless place. Um, what, we, what we can miss here is Jonah is not against uh, Gentiles altogether. He, Jonah goes to Joppa. Joppa is a, a Gentile city. They're doing lots of unclean things. And he's there among them. He's okay with it. He gets on the boat, and though he's asleep when he starts interacting, he actually wants the good for the sailors. He's like, look, throw me over. It'll save you guys. He's actually okay. He's reasonable. He's agreeable with the Gentiles. It's not that. It's the Ninevites. They're cruel. They're the enemy of Israel. They're the ones we hate. No. God, we have limits. <laughs> I'll go here. I'll even go to these Gentiles maybe, but I'm not going to go there. We put up limits, but God says, uh, no. You remember the, the passage in Matthew 18 when uh, Peter says, well, how, how many times should we forgive them, you know? And Peter says, should we forgive them seven times? Peter thinks he's being generous. Like, I'm going to throw out a crazy number. We should forgive them seven times. And what does he say? What does Jesus say? About 70 times 7, which means infant, continually. Jonah, um, in this mix, is, is, is like us. He's wrestling with this idea of divine justice. The wicked perish. They're godless. There should be justice. God is just. They're unjust. Do your thing, God. But also this idea of God's grace and mercy. And Jonah likes grace and mercy for him, and for Israel, but here they're coming together. <laughs> and God is just, and God is surprisingly and even frustratingly gracious. It's frustratingly to others. How can you forgive them, God? But why does God do it? Because God is committed. This isn't just about the wayward prophet, it's about Nineveh. Remember? He was going to go preach to Nineveh. That godless place was going to hear the word of the Lord. Jonah's trying to thwart that. But God is committed to the nations to go preach. God is committed to Nineveh. But God is also committed. This is the second part of this same point. He's also committed uh, to, to the nations through the people of God. Through us. 
right? You and I would be like, well, Jonah's not going to obey. Who's the, who, what are the prophets we got? Right? We got a lot of prophets. There's 12 minor prophets. Let's pick one of them, right? Let's find someone else. And it's not like God's like, well, man, what am I going to do now? I don't have any other options. Jonah fled. I really hope the Nineveh thing would work out. Are there other options? What can I do? Is there other strategies? No. It said they can make the rocks cry out. But he chose to work through Israel, and here particularly through Jonah, for the nations. And that's true for us, the church. We're a messed up group. We're messy. And yet God chose to bless the world through us. We are the vehicle of blessing. Let me tell you, there could be a lot more efficient ways than us. Do you know that? He could, he could change the hearts of the nations with a word. But he chose you and I. We're just trying to figure it out. But that's his plan and that's his purpose. And so any philosophy of mission or ministry that doesn't include the sacrificial, costly suffering of the people of God is incomplete. Because God's purpose and plan to bless the world is through the blood, sweat, and tears of us. Because we're invested. We say, Jesus matters. I'm going to give everything. Right? And this isn't some radical idea. Have you watched college football? Right? Have you seen guys going to the hunting camp? Everything they got is in this game and in this moment. Right? And now we have the Lord of heaven and earth. It says, my purpose, my plan for the world, for your neighbors and co-workers and those across the world is through us. God is committed to the nations through us. Isn't that amazing? We see this with the nations, with, with the sailors as well, not just with Nineveh, but with the sailors. And, and one way that the, the, the men on the boat, the mariners, they're, 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 they're innocent, right? I mean, they got in the cross hairs here with Jonah, but in other ways, they're not. They're, they're, they're godless. They're pagan. They're unbelievers. They've turned from God. They worship idols. And yet, think about this. There's, there's the prophet fleeing. There's God at work at him. There's this plan for Nineveh. And somewhere in the middle are these sailors going, what have we got ourselves into? <laughs> it's like the crossfire, you know? It's like the, the country in the middle that's getting fired upon. I'm like, what, what are we doing? But what does it reveal? God uses, think about this. Think about your view of God. God uses Jonah's defiance to bear witness to himself among these men. You and I wouldn't come up with that. We're not that creative. You see that? <laughs> they, 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 uh, they run down and say, wake up, what are you doing? Cry out to your God. The prophet won't pray. So what do they do? They pray. Right. They say, what's your, what's your occupation? Who are you? And he gives this great confession. And then he says, uh, you're, he's the God of heaven and earth, Jonah says. And the men says they were exceedingly afraid. That, that The text says this multiple times. They feared a great fear. They were overwhelmed. They don't even know what they're overwhelmed at. They don't even know who the Lord is. They're not the covenant people. They've heard of Yahweh. They don't know him. But now they see this storm and they hear this prophet and they're like, oh no, we're in trouble. 
We've encountered something we don't have a category for. And Jonah says, what do we do? And Jonah says, the only option is to throw me in the sea. And what do they do? They do what the world does. They start rowing harder. We're going to make it. We're going to get there. We're going to do it, right? Put in more work. Let's just do it. It's going to be okay. Let's go. And Jonah's like, it ain't, hey, fellas, it ain't, it, ain't, it ain't happening. The sea got stronger and stronger and stronger. This is the Lord. And so what do they do again? They pray. Can you think about how pitiful the prophets there, he won't do his job. And these men, they don't know the Lord. And they're saying, they use the covenant name of God, Yahweh. Hey, Yahweh, hey, look, don't count this against us, but we got to do something. This guy says to throw you overboard, right? This is your, this is your, your, your neighbor who's, who's an atheist praying when you as a Christian won't pray. He doesn't even know who to pray to and what name to pray for, but he's like, I don't know what else to do. That's what they're doing. See the irony of this story? Do you see the intricacy of this story? They're being blessed by the prophet's disobedience because they're encountering the true God. They finally throw him overboard, and the whole sea stops and goes still. And then they go, holy cow. They feared a great fear. Fellas, can you imagine them? They're just trying to go fishing or trying to go out from Joppa. They're like, what have we got ourselves into? Who is this God? And it says they, they sacrificed to Yahweh. They vowed vows to Yahweh. Were they converted? I don't know. Wouldn't it be cool in heaven to meet the, yeah, we were on the boat from Joppa going to Tarshish with Jonah. Sweet, he's awesome. Yeah, we saw the Lord. I don't know. It doesn't tell us. We don't know what happens to them. But witness was born to them through this situation. God is so committed to the nations. And he's committed to using us even in our disobedience. He is so creative. His mercy is, his anger and wrath is mercy. He is committed to the world. Third, he is uh, committed to this, this great reality between general revelation and special revelation. This is really, this is really amazing to me. I, I want you to have eyes to see here. General and special revelation. This passage shows a lot about what God does with creation, doesn't it? There's all these things. There's wind, there's storm, uh, there's uh, casting of lots, there's the, the, the ship, there's even the, the pious, sort of compassionate nature of sailors who are godless, right? There's an there's a image-bearing nature in creation that's testifying here about something about God's world and his control. All these things God uses for his purposes. When we speak about general revelation, we're talking about creation. God uses the creation to bear witness to who he is. And then we have special revelation. And the special revelation is the word of God to us. And it reveals Jesus, the person and work of Jesus. And we need that for our salvation. But God is meant to use these two things to work together. That creation is to testify to who the Lord is. Calvin said that the creation is God's amphitheater. The, the, the creation world, the mountains, the ocean, uh, the beauty of the world is, 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 is the theater of God on display for us to worship. But, and therefore, I guess, for the unbeliever, we're without excuse. Because go study anatomy, study the human body. The response should be worship. 
The, 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 the smartest doctors I know say, the more I learn, the less I know. <laughs> we should worship. Go outside, go, go fishing and just look around. It's amazing. It should bring worship. But creation, general revelation, can't get us all the way there. We need the particular word of God. We need Jesus for our salvation. There is no other name under heaven that we might be saved. That's why we have groups worshiping creation. They're worshiping the earth. They're worshiping the water. They're worshiping the animals. They're worshiping something. No. All of creation, general revelation, is to point us to say, he's the creator. If this creation is so beautiful, if the sunset at the beach is so beautiful, how beautiful must God be, right? That's what it's supposed to be in the work of the unbeliever. That's what it's supposed to do. So they're without excuse, and yet it can't get them all the way there. But for believers... We have the word, we know it, we confess it. What does creation do for us? One, it should bring us to worship. But two, this is important, have eyes to see God uses general revelation in the life of his people to awaken us. Did, did Jonah need, did he have a good confession? He did, right? I'm a Hebrew, he's the God of heaven and earth, I got the theology down. Did he need more information? No. He had the word. And yet, what? His heart was hard. He was apathetic. He tried to go sleep it off. And literally, the general revelation, creation, God used creation to awaken him. Wake up. Wake up. It's hard to be spiritually apathetic when you get thrown into the sea. Did you know that? He tried to sleep, and literally, God would not let him sleep. Because of creation. In the belly of the whale, it's hard to be like, ah, I'm not that really, does God exist? I don't know, it's not that big a deal. Right? You're alive. He does that for us. Did you know that? We have the word of God. Do you know it? And then our hearts become apathetic and cold. And that's why it's really, creation's a really a beautiful application. Get outside. That's why when you're outside and you're you're caught, your heart's arrested by the sunset. I love Josiah, our our four-year-old. We've taught him this, but he, he picked up on it somewhere, I don't know, maybe. And he, when, when he sees the beautiful pinks and colors, he goes, God's painting again. That's what he always says. God's got his paintbrush out. Yeah, he's painting again. Isn't that amazing? It's hard to be real hard-hearted if it's a believer towards God when you're just, and you see the world, right? Right? You might sit at the Grand Canyon and be like, eh, not a big deal. You're like, wow, who is this God? That's the response. Do you have eyes to see? Can you have eyes to see in your world? Doctors, we got a thousand of them learning. When you're, when you're in class or you're doing rounds or whatever y'all do, like, just be like, wow, that system works. That's amazing. It's amazing. And don't just be like, well, the, the book told me that would happen. Be like, God has orchestrated this, and it's amazing. That's what it's supposed to do for the believers. For the non-believer, it's supposed to arouse us and say, who is this God? Let's look, general revel- specific revelation, the word of God. For a believer who has the word, it's to keep us from apathy and going cold in our hearts. I got fired up on that, man. Isn't, isn't God amazing? That, you see how those interplay? You see how that? We don't worship creation, and yet he's telling the story all over the world that we would see who he is. Finally, the last thought is, is 
um, is really cool. That, that Jonah is a, he's a type. He's a type of Christ. And that's a weird thing to say because Jonah is such a, a pitiful example, but he foreshadows. He foreshadows the work of Christ here, doesn't he? You see, you see the parallels? Um, Jonah is in his rebellion, and yet in a strange way, there's a lot of parallels. LaJuan read the passage. Did you notice the parallels between Jesus in the boat with Jonah in the boat? Both of the stories, they both flee. Jesus flees to have uh, silence and, and away from the crowds. Jonah flees in disobedience, get away. And then uh, what happens in both stories? A great storm comes up. And then uh, what happens? The boats are threatened to break apart in both stories. And then both of the main characters, Jesus and Jonah, are what? They're both asleep. And then in both stories, they're woken up by fearful shipmates going, do something, help us. And then in both stories, how does the steed get calm? The main character does something. In this case, Jonah's thrown overboard, sea. With Jesus, he speaks, peace, be calm, still. In both stories, the men that witness this are filled with awe and wonder. This, both stories are about identity and mission, or calling. Identity and calling. The question that they all ask when they witness Jesus and they witness Jonah in the sea is what? Not what just happened. What do they ask? Who is this? They're like, we... You ever had that moment where you're in a sacred space and you're like, I don't know what, like, what was that? <laughs> like, what, like, whose presence are we in? That's the question. It's not like, logistically, how did the sea get calm? They're like, oh no, we're afraid, exceedingly afraid, because we're in the presence of something so much greater. We are in a category that we don't know what to do with. It's blowing our minds. And we are afraid of fear of the Lord. That's what's happening. It's about identity. It's also about calling. Jonah slept to escape his calling. You ever had that where you don't want to face life and like go to sleep? Yes. I'm going to sleep. Maybe I can keep sleeping and go away. Wake up. It'll be not true. Jesus sleeps in the boat in the storm because he's at peace, he's at rest, and he is embracing his calling. I'm the favored, beloved son of God. He's embracing the cost and the cross that's before him. And then as they come to the end here, in this way, they are both a symbol of, of the mission. Jonah is like Christ in that he substitutes, is substituted for the sake of the sailors, isn't he? It's a choice. Are they all going to die, or is someone going to die in place of the sailors, right? So Jonah's thrown, and the wrath of God is satisfied. He dies, so they live. Even his disobedience, he is a, serves as a a, a, a type, a foreshadowing, a very inadequate picture, but something that's pointing us that the story's going to continue. And maybe one day there'll be someone that can take the wrath of God for us. Jonah was rescued in the belly of the whale. Jesus went into the belly of the earth and died and suffered. He took the full wrath and suffering of God, divine wrath for our mercy. 
You see how scripture works? It's just amazing. This little story about a fish. Israel's being pointed. Oh, there's somebody coming. Just get ready. <laughs> this person, this God you don't have a name for, he's got a name. His name is Jesus. He's coming. He's coming. And he's going to save not just the body, sailors. He's going to save the soul. He's going to redeem the brokenness that goes deep and deep and deep within all of us and deep into our world and so deep in us that he uses broken people like the church to minister to the broken people of the world. You see the story of God? The application today, there's a lot of content. The application is just, would you, would you go home and eat lunch, do, do it, take a nap, and, and just marvel at who God is, please? Would you go, who is he? What kind of God is like that? The best directors in Hollywood can't come up with anything like this. All they can do is try, to, is try to copycat something of redemption. But he embedded it in every page of scripture for our salvation. It's unbelievable. Man. Who is a God like this? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy. We, we think you're harsh and you're you're mean-spirited, and you're, you're kind of over the top. But God, we see so little. <laughs> We're so short-sighted. We see only what's in front of us, and we make conclusions and judgments, and we, we think we see the lines, and we don't see a half of it. We, we're, we're on ground level, and you're the God of heaven and earth, and weaving together this tapestry. You are just. You will not allow wickedness to thrive, and yet... Your mercy and grace is so beyond our wildest imaginations. And that's good for us. And we, we, we struggle with towards others because we don't know our own hearts. We don't know how bad the problem is. But God, we're confused, but you're not. You're not trying to think of solutions. You've given us the solution in your son, Jesus. Oh God, may we trust you. May we marvel at who you are. Pray this. In your name, amen.